Then I'm going to go, I said C plus R plus I. So I'm going to start with I at the end because that is what the data suggests mm -hmm. actually is the more powerful, the most powerful of the three, actually of the four. And that stands for intimacy. So those in data that Charlie's collected uh, and the trusted advisor team, uh, the data suggests that those who have an overall high T trustworthiness score tend to score highest in intimacy. And intimacy is a curious word to use in a business setting. Yeah. It is a very intentional word. It is a rich word. It captures a lot of things. But we think primarily, whereas self-orientation is about focus, intimacy is about safety. Mm. And the extent to which you are able to create an experience of safety in your relationships. Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I'm so glad you're here. I empower leaders to turn indifferent customers into loyal fans. I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights and wisdom. We give you practical tips and proven frameworks and share ways to help you delight your customers. Well, I can't tell you how excited I am to have my guest on the Delighted Customers podcast episode today, Andrea Howe. And I've known Andrea for, I think, oh, well over a decade now. Ah, did you and have to do that math, Mark? <laughs> it maybe but speaks right. a little bit to our age a little bit. A little bit. Uh, but uh, but just so happy and, and grateful that I've gotten a chance to know you and, and do things like this with you. Um, I, I, I am just so excited. I, I, I met her through Trusted Advisor Associates. Um, Andrea, can you, sh first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here and looking forward to just a great conversation. We, you and I always have really good back and forth. So today should be no exception. We do. We do. I am so excited as well. Um, and so can you tell our audience a little bit about what you what it is you do? I can. So I run what is essentially the deep dive division of Trusted Advisor Associates informally and essentially. We specialize in mastery programs, which are multi-month cohort based, you know, really immersing in uh, trusted advisorship, trust-based selling, trust-based business development. What does it really take for leaders at all levels to have next level success when it comes to relationships? I work a lot with consultants. I'm a recovering IT consultant myself, although not exclusively with consultants, because one thing that you know well from the content that we work with is that there's such a universal applicability. Yeah. If you're a human being, uh, you can benefit from learning how to be more trustworthy and show up more powerfully in any and all relationships. Yeah. And, um, and I, I just to add on and affirm what you just said, like, as I got into my own practice after nine years of being a practitioner for customer experience in a bank, it, um, I start. I went right into the the CX world and our frameworks and our methodologies as I started my approach, and then it became more and more apparent to me that this idea of trust is really 
foundational to the success of any any of any leader, but especially one that relies almost entirely on influencing other people because they have such a small department, such limited resources, and very rarely any positional power. Right. You yeah. Well, and the, the, the gist of influence, I mean, influence in this day and age, and it's been true for many years, regardless of your positional power, largely comes from informal power. It kind of comes from how effective you are at creating great relationships and paradoxically, how great you are at listening to other people. There are a lot of paradoxes in the uh, lessons about what it takes to be exceptional as a builder of trust, which is part of why I've been myself immersed in this topic for 17 years now. <laughs> Charlie Green, who's been a past guest, he and I joined forces back in 2006. We co-authored a book together, The Trust Advisor Field Book that came out in 2012. But 17 years, and I'm still fascinated by the topic, and it's largely because there's so many interesting twists and turns and what we're taught conventionally, especially in the business world, often doesn't work. So mm -hmm. influence is key and influence as a function of listening, not talking in a compelling way is also key. And I think that's mm -hmm. very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So um, two, two questions connected to each other is um, since you, you have built such a successful practice. And as you say, you're in the deep dive of the pool doing really, I mean, I would imagine, I would imagine there is more of a, a sense of fulfillment as someone delivering it when you get to stay with people in a cohort like that and spend time with them and yes. watch them go through the evolution of it. But what would you say is the itch that your organization scratches that's mm -hmm. so in demand and how has that changed in 2023 in the world that we live in today good questions okay the itch that we scratch so a lot of the leaders we work with and i use that term loosely it could be little l leaders big l leaders um yeah a lot of the leaders we work with are experiencing a few things. First of all, universally, they're all successful. They've they've gotten great results. They are where they are, whether they've advanced or advancing in the organization because they're great. So we don't do remedial work. We are doing the, how do you take something to another level? And so then the itches might look like, I've I've achieved a lot of success. I have great client relationships because we focus a lot with people who are trying to build relationships with their clients. But wow, I'm mm -hmm. tired or I'm stressed a lot or it's just hard. So, you know, how can next level success for them might look like how to find the few levers to pull that just makes it all easier and flow better. So that's one itch. Another itch could be I was just talking with a potential client last week. I mean, they've got big growth goals and they've got a thriving business and great client relationships, but they're trying to figure out, you know, how do we step up into these growth goals at, without losing who we are? Um, so sometimes that's the itch is we need to grow. We, we are seeing opportunities to capitalize on. Um, those are the two big ones that are two, the first two examples that come to mind. 
And then what's different in 2023? It's a good, it's another good question. You know, I think in some ways, absolutely nothing. And I think in other ways, a lot. <laughs> so hmm. to me, the core of trust building since in the last few years, in the face of the pandemic, we're doing so much more work virtually in a lot of ways. You know, a lot of people have gotten distracted, quite honestly, spending a lot of time. How do you be effective virtually? forgetting, you know, back to basics, core stuff, uh, that connecting with human beings is connecting with human beings, whether you're doing that on the phone, right? In the olden days, Mark, when you and I first started our careers, speaking of dating ourselves, like we didn't have cameras, we didn't have Zoom meetings, we had phone calls and faxes and other things, right? So connecting with human beings in many ways is the same. Our medium is just a little bit different. Um, and I think it's being attentive to what's one of the differences is, um, we've lost a lot of the spontaneity and I think mm. the risk of saying something that sounds like a total oxymoron, and it probably is, we have to be more intentional about being spontaneous. So when we're working virtually, we're not in the same office space, certainly not as much, and some companies still not at all. You lose the spontaneity of running into somebody at the coffee machine or in the lunchroom. Um, you lose the spontaneity of, you know, walking out of the building together at the same time at the end of the day. And sometimes the ways that your connection can deepen from those interactions uh, and we have to, I think, we have a tendency um, to be very planned about our reach outs to people as a result. Let's schedule a Zoom meeting. Let's schedule a, you know, a 20 minute or 30 minute touch base. And I think we need to keep doing more of just pick up the phone and call somebody. It's one of those signature practices that we do in our workshops is actually just call a past client with no agenda other than to say hello and find out how they are. And we go on break and we just do it in that moment. And everybody assumes they won't answer. I won't get them, you know, and then the results are usually quite magical. But so I think part of what's changed is um, the need to be intentional about spontaneity that makes any sense whatsoever yeah. yeah no it makes a lot of sense and you're right it's it there's sort of this um protocol that's developed around scheduling meetings that is way more formal in that in that regard what what, what you're just talking about brings to mind another question around trust which is there it, and i can't think of another way to ask the question is there more pressure on trust between people because of, and I'll just go down the list. I mean, you have, you know, we're coming out of a virus situation, but you going into a hybrid remote, you know, maybe some people are on, on site all the time. You've got that, what you just described, the protocols are, uh, of the way we meet now are much more structured and less spontaneous, spontaneous. Yes. Um, you, you've got in the world, we still have some of the, um, not some, we still have plenty of strife when it comes to social 
our social world. We have a political, another political cycle. I thought we were done with these heated political cycles, but we have yet another one that is coming up. And probably a list of, and some worries about the economy, inflation. So so you've got all this. Is it put more pressure and more of a need for trust? I think that's a compelling case. And you could certainly say the answer is yes. Like the importance of it uh, gets highlighted in the midst of all the challenges that we're facing in our circumstances and the consequences of the absence of it. I think become more evident. Yeah. I mean, the stakes, you know, in many ways, I think the stakes are really high because leaders leading organizations through this environment we've just described, which is in, in many ways volatile, unpredictable, all these things. Um, you're, you're now trying to lead people through change. The velocity of change doesn't slow down. <laughs> And trust has got to be so critical to that, right? I think that's absolutely right. You know, so I want to get into like to help people out if if they if they need to understand trust better and and get better at it. I know uh, all of your experience. You've got some ideas on how you can help. So where can where can people start? Well, I think the first place to start, because trust is a big word, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. You consult three different dictionaries, you'll get three different definitions. It's very hard. And it's I think it's very hard to be masterful with something where there's so much ambiguity. So the first place to start is to get really crystal clear, bring clarity to the ambiguity. What in the heck do we mean? What are we talking about? And what specifically can I do? So that's that's where I would begin. And uh, you know from our mutual friend, Charlie Green, who co-authored the original book, The Trusted Advisor, on which our sequel is based, created something called The Trust Equation to do exactly that, to bring clarity to the ambiguity. And the first bit of clarity is the equation defines T as a function of four variables and the T stands for not trust, but trustworthiness. And I think that's Mm -hmm. an important distinction because what I, the only thing that I can control is the actions and the mindsets that I choose to endeavor to be experienced as more trustworthy out in the world. I cannot control Mark, you know, you being a more trusting person per se, but I can control what I do that alters your experience of me that hopefully has you deepening your levels of trust in me. So that's place one. And then I can keep going if you want around the, the four. Yeah. Well, of it, or that just reminded me, Andrew, add, when, yeah. when you, when you said uh, control, I had never heard it expressed that way, but I, I really like it. it. It reminds me of the serenity prayer there, except the things I, I can't get the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah. Um, so what you're saying is, you know, you can control yourself, but you can't control other people. No. I mean, we try, but anybody who's <laughs> listening, who's ever raised a teenager knows how well that goes. <laughs> so, <laughs> Or dealt yes. with an elderly parent or, right? So, right. And there are things that we can and should, in fact, change about ourselves. And I don't mean change like be inauthentic or be such a chameleon that you're 
disingenuous and you're not really being who you are, but I can be true to who I am and look for opportunities mm. to, um, to be more effective on these four different dimensions. And I think the onus is on me to do that. If I want my relationships to be better, I am setting myself up for a lot of suffering and a lot of frustration if I focus on what are the things that I wish you would do differently. Now, I might wish that my clients and my colleagues would change, but or my spouse or my, you know, whomever. But like I said, we all know how futile that is. And there's a lot. Yes, it is. It is a two-way street. It does take two to tango. So I'm not saying that we can, you know, it's like we don't control the weather. We can't totally alter everything. But it only takes one to make the tango better. And if we mm -hmm. want to be more trustworthy as leaders, if we want to be more influential, if we want to reap those rewards, greater levels of growth, you know, less stress, all of those things, we owe it to ourselves and to all of our stakeholders to work on ourselves first and to see what we can alter in our dynamics with other people as a result. Okay. Well, that is a great hook. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, tell us, what do you think? Walk, walk us through the four variables. Okay. So, Charlie Green defined the trust equation as a function of trustworthiness is a function of and so I want you to all imagine, or if you're listening along and you're not driving and you could safely write something down on a piece of paper, you know, draw a line. We're going to create a numerator and a denominator above the line, below the line. And there are three variables above the line, C plus R plus I, and there's one variable below the line, which is S. Um, and I'll explain briefly what each are, and then we can go into as much detail as you want. But fundamentally, I'm going to start with a denominator, the S that stands for self-orientation. And essentially, it's about focus. And I, and I think in terms of two things, where is your attention? Is it really on other people or is it on you? If it's on others, your self-orientation is low. And that's good because it's in the denominator, right? We want anything below the line to be low. Or uh, And then the other thing I think about is motives. You know, why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I am I uh, truly doing something in others' best interests? Or if I'm really honest, am I coming from a place of scarcity or a sense of needing to protect myself? Or which is human, right? It's completely normal for these things to occur. But when I allow fear to run the show, scarcity, the tendency to protect, a risk aversion, all those things, my self orientation goes up. And therefore, my trustworthiness goes down. So it's a Charlie put it in the denominator because his hypothesis was it was the most powerful variable. Uh, he since learned through collecting data, in fact, that it isn't necessarily the most powerful, but that doesn't mean it isn't powerful. So that's the place to to start is to look at how's my self orientation? Is it high or is it low? Yeah, yeah. Very good. All right. Walk us through the numerator. Okay. So then I'm going to go, I said C plus R plus I. So I'm going to start with I at the end because that is what the data suggests mm. actually is the more powerful, the most powerful of the three, actually of the four. And that stands for intimacy. So those in data that Charlie's collected uh, and the trust advisor team, uh, the data suggests that 
those who have an overall high T trustworthiness score tend to score highest in intimacy. And intimacy is a curious word to use in a business setting. Yeah. It is a very intentional word. It is a rich word. It captures a lot of things. But we think primarily, whereas self-orientation is about focus, intimacy is about safety. Mm. And the extent to which you are able to create an experience of safety in your relationship. So because it's in the numerator, we want intimacy to be as high as possible for your overall T to be as high as possible. And there are lots and lots of ways to do that. What most people naturally think of when they think intimacy is, you know, meetings outside of a work setting, time on the golf course, time you know, in around the coffee machine. And those can be great ways of having a meal together. Uh, those can be great ways to build intimacy. But those, you know, that's a few examples of what are dozens of things available. Yeah. A great way to create safety quickly also happens to be one of the best ways to set yourself up to be as influential as possible is to be a phenomenal listener. Mm. And that's not going to be news to anybody listening to this, right? Listening is important. We all know it. What I want to suggest is most of us just aren't that good at it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it requires a mastery with the listening and in particular, a mastery with empathetic listening that creates connection and creates safety. So um, those are a few examples of way to boost intimacy. There are many more. Yeah. And those first two variables, the S and the I, I've come to think as, you know, sort of it's the half of the, it's the side of the equation that tends to be more related to emo the emotional or psychological dimensions of relating to other people. Mm -hmm. uh, and those are the ones I've found over 17 plus years, I mean, 30 years almost now, maybe more that I've been in and around consulting, but those are the ones we tend to give short shrift, especially when we're managing projects and trying to get work done. Those are the ones that are not emphasized in MBA programs. They're, um, uh, but they're equally, if, if, if not, they have outsized importance only because of the tendency to uh, leave them behind. So then we move to the more rational or logical variables in the equation, the C and the R. So remember, we've got C plus R plus I divided by S. That's what our trustworthiness equals. C stands for credibility. It's essentially about words. So self-orientation is focus, intimacy is safety, credibility is words, what we say and how we say it. Interestingly, uh, our, you know, our willingness to share our knowledge is a way to build credibility. Most people know that. I think it's particularly interesting and paradoxical that our willingness to tell the truth about what we don't know or about what our weaknesses are build as much, if not more, credibility. So think in terms of honesty, truthfulness, those kinds of things. And then the R, I usually save for last, stands for reliability. It's about actions. I leave it for last, not because it doesn't matter. Trusted advisors are always working all four variables of the equation. But because R to me is table stakes, and it also is what we tend to lean on. If a relationship isn't working great or something's something's gone awry or we've got a new project with a new customer or client, we get hyper, hyper focused on reliability. Focused on reliability is good. Hyper focused mm, at the expense of what then? And it's usually at the expense of intimacy and lowering self-orientation. But it's basically about 
consistency, predictability, the extent to which what you say you're going to do and what you're going to do match, and the extent to which when there's a disconnect between the two, you get in communication about that as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. All right. So that you just laid out all four. Yeah. And is the message here like what should what should a person focus on? Should a per- person focus on one of the four or all four? Good question. So I would answer that two ways. I, I'll give a general answer and a specific answer. I think generally you get the biggest bang for your buck, so to speak, by mm-hmm. focusing on the one that you tend to leave behind the most. Mm-hmm. So you want to work all four because they all matter and they're distinct, but they all kind of come together as this amalgamation of how you experience me. And I might be able to get away with, you know, say, Mark, with you, you know, dropping balls, being lower on reliability if I'm really great at the other things. But there's a certain point where if you can't count on me on all of those dimensions, that that's going to compromise your experience of me and compromise your tendency to want to work with me or to um, to share with me, to partner with me in a meaningful way. So generally speaking, do a little mini self-assessment. We all know ourselves pretty well. Um, and what do, what do you, and I don't mean you, Mark, I mean the collective, yeah. what do you have a tendency to leave behind? And be very deliberate about bumping that score up, if you will. Be intentional about practicing uh, whatever the dimension is. And for many people, at least like the consultants I work with, it's usually intimacy. That's usually the variable that Mm -hmm. um, people struggle with the most. For me personally, it's reliability. That's why I gave that example. I have so many elaborate systems to to do lists and to keep myself on track. And I work really hard to, to be in communication quickly when I fall behind and deal with the guilt and shame and junk that I feel when it happens and to just, you know, but I need systems. Not everybody does. For some people, uh, follow through and follow up comes really naturally. So that's the general answer. My more specific answer is if you are uh, managing a set of stakeholders as, you know, CX professionals naturally are, uh, to try to accomplish a result for an organization, look at those each individual relationship. And then I would use the equation to say, okay, in this relationship, what's missing? What, what would they say I need to boost? Or what do I know I'm not bringing? So maybe I'm naturally good at high intimacy, but there's something going on in this relationship. I feel like I'm at risk. I've got you know, some distraction, some high self-orientation and the way that shows up is it has me not being a good listener to you or it has me not taking risks with you. By the way, that's another great intimacy practice, paradoxically, is taking risks, personal risks to create safety. So you can look at relationships one by one and say, what could I bring more of to that relationship to improve it? And there might be a common theme and it might match the variable you need to work on in general, or it it could vary, like I said, just depending upon the dynamics and the circumstances. Yeah. So, so many gems to unpack in what you just said. <laughs> um, one of them that you mentioned is intimacy. And before you mentioned empathetic listening, I think 
people are pretty familiar with the, the phrase active listening. Yeah. Um, but empathetic listening is a little bit different, right? So share, share with us maybe how that works. To me, and I'm just going to sort of so potentially oversimplify and oversimplifies, yeah. but when I was taught active listening back in the days when I was in the corporate world in an IT consulting firm, you know, I was taught very valid and important skills of, you know, paraphrasing, repeat back, summarize back, what are you hearing, show that you're taking in the information that somebody's giving you and that you're getting it. And one of the greatest ways to do that is to reflect and summarize. Very valid and important listening skill. To me, empathetic listening takes it to another level. It adds another dimension because what you're tuning into is not the information they're giving you in terms of sort of words and the facts of the case, if you will. You're tuning into their emotions. So you're paying attention to how they're saying something. You know, if they say, you know, we doubled our growth last year and they say it in a way that sounds victorious and celebratory. There's a certain set of emotions, positive emotions associated with that. And if they say, oh, we doubled our growth last year, that's a very different communication. And to me, the power, like really masterful listening means you're tuning in on both those dimensions. You're listening to the words and the emotions and you're also reflecting back both. You reflect, you are taking mm -hmm. what might feel like a risk to say, Mark, I, I hear what sounds like victory or I hear what sounds like defeat when you say that and either inviting them, you know, you can say, tell me more or just be quiet for a moment, take a beat and see where they go. Um, but then you really get the, not only do you get a fuller picture of what's going on in the other person's world, but you create an exchange that's that's deeper and potentially more meaningful and you create a sense of safety by doing that so that's the that's the key difference to me let, let me let me check in with what i heard you say so i'm going to do a little bit of empathetic listening here am i uh, there's a word that came to mind i just want to check in with you if that's the right thinking about what you just said and then i want to share a little story about where some organization very recently did not do that with me. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so the the word that as you're sharing that is framing. Mm. Like you you listened, you know, empathetically, and now you're framing, not paraphrasing, but framing back what you think you heard. Is that right? I, I think that's a fair word for it. It's but it's framing, it's like multi-dimensional framing. Mm. Because you're framing both the facts of the case. And the emotions uh, that the person sharing the facts experiences around the case. Yeah, yeah. that's well said. Wow, so many great gems from Andrea Howe. Uh, unfortunately, we have run out of time on this episode, but the good news is we'll be back for part two where Andrea dives into some of the real life challenges where, where organizations have missed trust and the opportunity to build trust and also this idea of ghosting. What happens when you get ghosted and what should you do about it and continue to be trustworthy? Be sure to join us next time on part two with Andrea Howe. Thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. 
I'd like to ask you a favor. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on the show in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com.